Our scripture this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, this should be fun, right? <laughs> Maybe you're listening, right? That, you know, Jesus, he saw, saw a fig tree. He was hungry for figs. No figs on the tree. So he curses it. Poof, it withers. It's dead. I mean, what, what is going on in this story? Like, it kind of feels like a divine temper tantrum, doesn't it? I mean, is Jesus just hangry? Like, get him a Snickers already, right? I mean, what is, what is happening here? Well, I, I assure you, it's a, it's a bit more than just low blood sugar. Uh, but we definitely have our work cut out for us uh, this morning. Let me, let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Gracious Father, we are so grateful uh, that you have brought us to this space uh, this morning, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that we would see uh, Jesus in ways perhaps that we've not seen him before, that your spirit um, would speak directly to us with what we need. God, I, I pray for, for those who are here this morning who, who need to hear rebuke and challenge um, and maybe even a little kick. God, I pray that, 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 that I would hear that if I need to hear that. God, I pray for, for those who maybe just need comfort and encouragement. God, that, who need to see your arms of grace open wide, ready to extend them. God, I pray that they would see that here. God, be what we need in this space for your glory. Uh, and for the good of what you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, yeah, so it's 2017. Um, at this point in the year, it always like, it feels like it's time to get back to business, right? Just to, to, just to get back into it. I mean, I, I can tell you, like, I took the, 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 the week off between Christmas and New Year's, and I feel like I broke new records of laziness, okay? Um, and of, like, terrible, terrible eating, right? I mean, you know, you know the experience, like, where at some point you're almost, like, start to fantasize about eating a vegetable, right? Or, or accomplishing something with your life. I mean, that, that's kind of what it was for me. Um, you know, those moments when you, when you almost... I mean, I love to be lazy, right? Those are, those are good, restful moments. And then you hit the wall uh, and you're like, I should really take a shower, right? I mean, what am, what am I doing with my life? Well, Monday, Monday was one of those days for me. Um, you know, still kind of hanging on to the Christmas holiday, but it's over, right? Feeling behind already, knowing the week that's going to begin. It's New Year's, you know, a little bloated probably. I mean, it's kind of like, at least for me, it's like the perfect storm of inadequacy and self-loathing, right? Right? Some of you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so I started that day, I wanted to get up a little bit early and start it right and spend some time. So I spent some time praying and thinking about, you know, what I was going to do and planning and goals and, you know, all those kinds of things. Because it's, it's, never, it's never too late to start fresh, right? It's never late, too late to start exercising or, or eating well. It's never too late to be a better friend or, or pastor or spouse or parent. It's, it's, it's never too late to study harder or work harder. It's, it's never too late to, to take Jesus seriously uh, or, or to begin living for something bigger than yourself. It's never too late. And we love that phrase, right? Anybody else like motivated? Right, yeah. It's never too late. 
And you can Google it. You can find about a million memes, right? They're adorable. Um, <laughs> adorable, inspiring, and honestly, just not true, right? I mean, because sometimes it is absolutely too late, isn't it? I mean, that, that phrase, it just doesn't work. And I, listen, I believe in second chances and third chances and fourths, right? And, I mean, that's, that's grace, that's Jesus, that's, that's why I'm a pastor. But let's be honest, and we all know it, eventually they run out. And in different, different ways, in different circumstances. Like, for example, right, for me, it is too late for me to play Major League Baseball. It's just that window. It is past. I want to play for the Royals, but it's not going to happen, right? Or it's too late, it's too late for me to become a park ranger because I, I really want one of those hats. You know what I'm talking about? Um, it's too late. And there, there are times with, with relationships as they change, where opportunities come and they go. Our bodies change, right? Our health, all of it. There, there are times when it is too late, and we know it, because death is the ultimate right, reminder, right? At that point, it absolutely, no matter what you had left to do, it's over. It's too late. And for some of us, I mean, if, if we're honest, there, for some, there, there comes a point as our, as our hearts, they just get harder and harder and harder. And, and our, our sins become more and more entrenched. Our, our habits begin to define us and control us. And yes, there are so many chances to change, so much grace. But it's never too late. Come on, right? Don't be fooled. It's never too late till it is. It's never too late till it is. And, and believe it or not, that's, that's what's going on with this bizarre you know, fig tree fiasco story. Jesus, he's not hangry. He's teaching us. He's teaching his, his first disciples. He's teaching the, the religious crowds around him. And he wants all of us to see that there, there is a time to be fruitful. A short window for each of us, of our lives. And if we miss it, we just might miss it. Okay, so we're in, we're in Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. If you've been around for a while, you know that we, we were spent most of, of 2016 in the gospel of Matthew. We, we took a, a break uh, for the fall, but now we're, we're back in it, right? Reed said last week that it is our New Year's resolution as a church to actually finish Matthew. We're going to do it, okay? Um, 17 weeks, we've got one down, right? After today, we'll have two down. Um, we are, we're walking together in Jesus's final week, Take, taking really the, the winter up through just the Sunday after Easter, walking through what, what I would believe is the most important week in all of history. The most climactic events that, that have ever been on this planet happened on, on this, this week. It began last week as a humble king rode in on a donkey. That was Sunday. Now it's, now it's Monday. It's Monday and Jesus is hungry. He, he's returning to the, the city of Jerusalem. And the context here is, is absolutely important for understanding the tree, right? Because Jerusalem, like this is the city for the people of God. Like it, it is their place. It's the temple. It's the, the center of all of their religious activity. And Jesus is walking back to Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree covered in leaves. It wasn't quite the the season yet for figs. And I mean, Jesus grew up there. He knows that, right? 
It's not quite the season yet. And yet, fig leaves almost always appear the same time as the fruit. Or or sometimes, actually, the, the fruit shows up first and the leaves come later. And so everything about this tree said it should have fruit. It, it looks like it should have fruit, but it doesn't. Just as Jerusalem and the temple and all the, the religiosity around that place looked like it should have fruit. That's, that's what's happening here. And just like all the, the religious people in that city, the, the priests and the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they, they all made a point of looking fruitful. There were all kinds of leaves, but no figs. And Jesus says it's almost too late for them. And listen, we have to keep in mind here that if you read the Gospels, the people who give Jesus the most trouble it's the religious people. It's the people who have their lives together, right? Who know all the rules, who even keep most of them, at least the big ones, at least, at least in public. It's the ones who, who look okay. They know who to look down on. They know the right things to say. I mean, people, it's like us people, right? Religious people, decent people. They are the cursed fig tree in this story. And so let me even just say, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're maybe a bit skeptical of religious people, you and Jesus may have more in common than you realize. If religious hypocrisy ticks you off, I guarantee Jesus is angrier. Now, on the other hand, (laughs) sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, like in the stories with them, it is almost never too late for them. If they have breath, they can run to Jesus. It's the ones who think they're doing just fine. Nice people, good people, church people. Which ought to startle us, right? Sitting here in church, if you're honest, this warning is for me and for you. Because what happens here, and we're we're gonna cover a whole bunch of text, right? Um, And it's all, frankly, it's it's some really confusing sections of text, but it's all sort of, flows out of what happens with the fig tree. It's all sort of revolved around that. It's like this, this parable that Jesus lives out, this fig tree. And then he goes and he, he tells these, these stories. And so Jesus, he goes right from the, the dead tree to the temple. He gets in an argument there uh, with the uber-religious, almost as you'd expect Jesus to do by this point in the story. They're, they're fighting over, over who's really in charge. And Jesus, he steps back and he tells them three parables. Three stories, three warnings that you and I, we only have so much time to bear fruit. Irreligious or religious, there's only a narrow window for all of us. Don't miss it. Three warnings. First, it might be too late for you if you'd rather look the part than live the part. If you'd rather look the part than live the part, it just, it just might be too late. Okay, so picture this scene, right? Jesus, he cursed the tree. He goes in the temple. They get in an argument. He tells these, these stories. And here, here's, the, here's the first one. Imagine Jesus, right? Telling a crowded room of religious people these, these stories. And Jesus begins, essentially, imagine a farmer, right? And this farmer's got, got two sons. 
And he goes to the, the first of his sons and says, hey, son, I really need you to work in the vineyard today. And the son is like, yeah, that's, that's not happening, dad. That's not for me. I'm not going to do that. Uh, no chance, no way. And so the, the father goes off. But later on, this son has a change of heart, and he actually shows up and, and works at the vineyard. Now, the father also goes to the other son and says the same, son, I, I really need you to work in the vineyard today. And this son is like, oh, dad, absolutely. You better believe it. Anything for you, dad. I'm your, I'm your favorite, right, dad? But then he never, he never shows up. And, and so Jesus, he tells this really short story, and, and then he's, he turns to the people standing there, the, these religious leaders, and says, so which, which one? Which one's fruitful? Which one pleased the, the father? Was it the one who, who looked lousy, but actually ended up doing what he was supposed to do? Was it the one who looked good initially, but ended up being absolutely lousy? And it's obvious, right? I mean, we all, we all know the answer, and, and so did they. I mean, looking the part is never enough. Leaves are no substitute for fruit. And talk is no substitute for action. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes when we come to the Bible and we encounter Jesus or whatever, we, we kind of come with the assumption that, man, this guy is out of date, right? A long time ago. What, is he, what does he possibly know about the human experience today, right? And then you read stories like this, and it's sort of like, yeah, that's, that about sums it up, doesn't it? Because you and I, I mean, religious or irreligious alike, all of us, we know it. We are obsessed with looking the part. You might be obsessed with looking the part of the, of the good person, the successful person, the, the decent, happy person. You might be obsessed looking the part of the, the rebel, the one who's going to carve his own way and do, do his own thing. But either way, we love to, live the, to, look, at, to look a certain way, right? And even, even just to think about it, I mean, look at, look at the ways we fake it, but also look at the ways that we judge others, right? To feel better about ourselves? We all do it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, like even for some of you, you're probably like, yeah, no, actually, I hate, I hate those people, right, who judge people, right? Those are the worst people. At, like, do you hear yourself, right? We all, we all do it. We all find somebody to look down upon. I mean, if we could just record the thoughts that happen when we encounter human beings on a regular basis, it's constant judgment. It's constant. I'm somehow more sophisticated or smarter or successful or better looking or whatever, we're obsessed with looking the part, terrible at living it. And so another example, like we excuse our sins as mistakes, but everybody else's, you know, they're the worst, right? How dare they? Or the fact that I, I can't even keep my own rules, and yet somehow everybody else is a hypocrite but me. We work overtime for our own PR, don't we? Oh, the image we try to project. I mean, whether it's on Facebook, that's the easy target, but with our parents you know, with our coworkers, our friends, the things that we want, even walking into church, the faces that we wear, the clothes that we wear, wanting to make sure people think of us in a certain way. We know we don't have our lives together, and yet we will do anything we possibly can to convince the world otherwise. Or worse, worse is that you actually think you are okay. I mean, that's, that's really the worst there. Like, to actually think, you know, actually, you know what? I go to church. I'm here. 
I'm a good person. I've I've done all the the normal, moral, religious, good people stuff. I've, I've got it together. I'm a decent human being. Well, good for you, Jesus says. And he says to you and to me, if that's your attitude, it just might be too late. Because he says to them, you know, they respond to this, this story. They know which, which son is, is the good son in this, in this story. But, but then he says to them in verse 31, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And when Jesus uses that phrase, what he's saying is the worst people that you can possibly imagine, right? That's, so whatever that is for us today, it's different for them. But that's, that's what he's saying with that. The worst people that you can possibly imagine go into the kingdom of God before you. Like imagine him saying that in a room full of priests. Like is it any wonder that at the end of this week he's executed, right? Crucified. Imagine him saying that in this room. Jesus says, if you think you're okay, good enough, better than most, then there is more hope for the very worst people that you can possibly imagine than for you. Because at least for them, there's a chance they might actually one day realize how messed up they are. There's a chance for that for them. They're going to they're gonna hit rock bottom one day, maybe, maybe, and actually admit it, realize that they need somebody to save them, that they can't, they can't do it on their own. But if you refuse to see it or acknowledge it, if you, if you hide your sins or just keep on pretending, if you look that good, I mean, why would you need Jesus anyway, right? And it might be too late for us. Of course, that may not directly apply to all of us, or at least not in the same ways. I think we, we, we're all guilty there. But in case, like, on the, sh- the slight chance that Jesus missed anybody here, right? Did he? Anybody? No. Um, he tells another story. Like, to make sure that he's, he's equally offending everybody. It's one of the things I love most about Jesus. Like, he is an, he's an equal opportunity offensive. Like, if you, if you actually, you know, read the Gospels and you're not offended ever by what Jesus says, you're not reading them right, Okay? Like, they, they, all, they confront us. They challenge us. And so Jesus, he gives another warning, just in case he missed anybody in the first round. It might be too late if you'd rather serve yourself than serve another. Yeah. If you'd rather serve yourself, you know, live, live for your own ideals, carve out your own path, master of your domain and all that sort of thing, right? Serve yourself and serve another. You see, religious, religious people, again, you've got to remember the context of who he's talking to. Religious people, they look like they're living for something bigger, right? Oftentimes, right? They, they have that sort of, sort of appearance that they're, they're serving someone else, but there's a good chance they're just serving their own self-righteousness, right? Or their, their own judgmentalism or, or ideology or power structures or, or politics, right? And we, we see how religion gets abused within, within political structures, don't we? Of course, it's not just religious people, right? Here, religious people are just as guilty of this. I mean, don't we all prefer to serve our own ends? To find our own sense of meaning and purpose? And Jesus says there's a, there's a big danger here. And so he tells, 
The second story, in verse, verse 33. He says, again, same, same audience there, same group. He says, imagine, imagine a master with a big farm. And I mean, we're talking a big farm, and he's got everything that he could possibly need to produce a whole lot of wine. It's a, it's a vineyard. All the equipment is there, and he's done all the work, put in the, the capital and the resources, all of it right there. But he can't possibly work the farm on his own. And so he hires a, a team of farmers to come alongside him and, and do the work there for him. And the master, he leaves town for a while. But when it's time for harvest, right, he expects to get something out of his investment. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We, we totally understand that. And, and so he sends servants to get some of the, the fruit of his investments. And when the servants show up, the, the workers there, they, they beat one of them, they kill another, and stone a third. Seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? You'll notice that each of these stories, they get progressively harsher, frankly, more extreme. Even so, right, when the master gets word of this, he gives them another chance. He sends more servants to go and try to do the same, but the same thing happens. So finally, the master's like, I mean, fine, I guess guess I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect my son, right? Right? If anybody, if they're going to respect anybody, it's going to, it's going to be him. But when they see him, what they see is opportunity. You know, if we kill the son, there's not going to be anybody left to tell us what to do. If we kill the son, then we can, we'll get his inheritance. We'll take, we'll take over. We can be in charge. We can be free, you know, finally, finally free. And so they murder the son. So Jesus, then he asks the group of people he's talking to, he's like, well, what, what should happen to those, those people working in the field? I mean, should, should they get more chances? Should, should, um, should we offer them, you know, cheap forgiveness? Just let bygones? Of course not, right? And, and all of them there hearing this, they, they know, no, they, they, need to, they need to pay for their, their, their debts, right? They need to be executed for their crimes and the master should find new workers. And so Jesus says to them in verse 42, basically how right you are. (laughs) Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Like, ah, I see what he's trying to do there. And so they make more plans to arrest him, to destroy him. I mean, you just... In a sad, sort of sick, twisted kind of way, you got to appreciate the irony of the story, right? They hear the parable. They realize it's about them. They acknowledge, oh, yeah, that's, that's us. Like, I mean, essentially, like our, our fathers, our ancestors did kill the prophets that God sent to, to pull us out of our sin and out of our rebellion. So what should we do about it? Yeah, let's make plans to kill the son. Let's, let's take care of this, this little part. They go out and do exactly what Jesus said they do because they want to be their own masters. They want to be in charge of their own lives and their identities. 
And it's easy, it's easy to read that because, again, Jesus keeps raising the bar, the, the, how extreme these stories become. And it's like, well, that's, that's their, I mean, these are terrible, horrible people, right? I mean, of course, of course, judgment is coming for them. It, it, it should. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do this. I don't know, really? So let's just say, for example, that you, you believe in God. Let's just, let's just say, um, does your God, the one that you believe in, does he have permission to tell you what to do? Like, even if you really don't want to. Like, like can, he, can he put you in a, in a difficult spot? Can he, can he say things to you that you hate, that you want nothing to do with, that you cannot possibly even get you, that, that confront our identities, our, our cultures, who we are, the things that we are most passionate about as, as individuals and collectively, can, can he speak into that? Like, like for example, like if, if your God says to you, you know what, you shouldn't sleep with your boyfriend or look at porn, does it matter that he says that? That he says, why do we keep putting, why do you keep putting your, your identity and, and success and money and how you look and the friends that you have and your reputation? Does it, does it matter that he says that? I mean, if you only obey the commands you like, you're not really obeying, right? I mean, you know that, right? You're just being, you're just doing what you want, right? I mean, obedience, obedience, real obedience hurts. And if you're, if you're God, if he always affirms you, you know, follows you around, patting you on the back, oh, you're doing great, you know, rubbing your shoulders. He's there to kind of give you stuff occasionally. If he, if he agrees with you all the time, he, he likes all the same things you like, he hates all the same people that you hate. I mean, if that's your God, like, you know, you haven't met him yet, right? The real God. Like, that's just a figment of your own imagination. It's a projection of, of yourself. You're, you've made an idol of, of even who you are. The only way to know for sure that you've encountered the real God is if he ticks you off every now and then. If he says things to you that you do not want to hear and you're still with listening, that's when you know. Because like in the story, we owe him everything. All that we have, all that we are, all our hopes and dreams, our fears and ambitions, all of it. When will we start listening? and obey. When will we, will we give him the fruit that belongs to him? He, he's the master, right? He's the owner of this world. We're the tenants in this story. And just how many more chances do we expect to get? It's never too late until it is. Still with me for one more? Some of you are like, can we just stop now? It's awful, right? It's going to get worse before it gets better, I assure you. Um, but this, this, third, this third story, it is, at least, at least for me, it's the most beautiful and the most haunting. I mean, it's the most beautiful because what I see offered here, I want it so badly, and yet it's so haunting because I know my heart. And so, and so maybe, yes, you know, the warnings that, that have been here. Sure, it might be too late if, if you'd rather look the part than live the part or, or serve yourself than serve another but we are especially close to disaster if we'd rather do anything without him than celebrate with him. Like if you'd rather do anything without him than celebrate with him. Like for example, if, if God were to invite you to a party, 
I know, it sounds a little weird, right? But just like, you know, pretend with me. He invites you to party. And this is God we're talking about. So he, he knows what he's doing, right? Imagine the food. He invented food, right? He gave us taste buds. Imagine the wine. I mean, don't forget, like, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a party that ran out because they drank so much wine, right? I mean, think about the, think about the music, the entertainment. He invented them. He invented laughter. And he invites you to a party. And our response is, ah, are you going to be there? And never mind. No, thanks. I'd rather do anything, literally anything else, right? So here's, here's the story at the start of chapter 22 now. And Jesus, right, in these three stories, he keeps, again, raising the bar, upping the ante, making it more intense for us. First it's a father, then it's a, a wealthy landowner. Now it's a king, right, a king. And so he says there to those, those listening, listen, listen to this, you priests, you Pharisees, you religious snobs. Do you see what it is you're missing? Do you, do you know what you're giving up? Imagine a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. And he sends out invitations to everyone in the land, all the who's who, right? The important people as a king, as a king would. All the people you think would want to be there get an invitation. But nobody shows up. I mean, like, just even think, like, if you got an invitation from a king, like, you'd, you'd be there, Right? Like, you don't, you don't want to miss that. that whatever is going to happen, it's got to be incredible. And they say, they say nah, no thanks. And so, to the king, I mean, he's so gracious. He, it's sort of the, the idea is like, he's almost saying, you know, maybe they just don't understand what I'm offering. Like, maybe they've missed something in the, in, the, in the invitation. And so, he sends out his servants again, right? And they go to the same people who should want to be there anyway to invite them once more. But this time, he, like, they're giving them descriptions, like, I mean, this party, we, we got, you know, grilled oxen. Uh, we're going to kill a couple of calves. I mean, they're all smoking right now. I mean, and think about it, like, this is, this is a culture where meat is a delicacy. And they're being offered a buffet at Fago de Chow, right? I mean, giddy up. Anybody else, right? How could you miss this? Still, nothing. One guy goes back to his farm. Ah, got stuff to do. One guy goes back to his business, ah, I'm just too busy. Whereas others who receive the invitation, they actually abuse the servants who bring it. Some of them actually murder some of the servants who come. I mean, like, how badly do you not want to go to this party, right? And it sounds ridiculous. It's just so extreme, right, this story. It's just so bizarre. I mean, we'd, we'd never do that. That's insane. Sounds ridiculous, except it isn't. Not for some of us. Not if you're honest with yourself. Not if you take one good long look at what's going on in here, right? Because for some of us, like, it doesn't matter how good the promises are. You'd rather do anything without God than even the greatest thing with Him. I mean, we want to find happiness on our own. I want to do it myself, Right? I want to decide what's good in my life and, and what matters to me. I want, to, I want to make meaning and significance for myself. I want to grab onto what I think is going to make me happy, not listen to somebody else for that. 
or we get too busy or distracted with our schedules, or maybe it's our, our ideologies or our power structures. I am so easily pleased with things that leave me hollow. Anybody else? And I go back to them because I'm convinced this time it's going to do it, right? This next purchase, this next vacation, this next whatever, right? It's, it's going to be the one. <laughs> and then somehow I'm surprised when it's not. I mean, for some of us, it's not that you can't find God. It's that you wouldn't want God if he was staring you in the face. Right? What is it that my sin is promising me? What is it that your sin, or whatever it is you keep going back, what is it promising you that this king can't give you even more of? Like, what is it, what is it offering you? What does it promise to do for you or in your life that this, the God who made everything can't give to us even more and better? Because, like, imagine the king. Like, I just picture this scenario. It's like, really? Like, you're, you're really not gonna, you're not gonna come. You'd, you'd rather do your own thing than and celebrate with me. Well, hmm. I mean, party's ready. It's not a freezer big enough for all this food and the wine and the band is warming up and my son is getting married. And so this time he tells his servants, the ones who are left, the ones who are still willing to go, right? He tells them, go therefore to the main roads. It's like, go to the, go to the busy places, the intersections, go where everybody is. And invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. What a party. You just picture it, right? The good and the bad. I mean, I love that Jesus is that explicit. It's like the people that you would think would be there and the people that, that have no business ever being there, Right? Anyone and everyone. It's the, the poor and the disenfranchised. It's the people that you love and the people that you hate, right? Democrats, Republicans, every, every race, every heritage, every, every kind of sinner. And just for a sec, like look at our king. Look at that. This, this is who our God is. Arms outstretched, welcoming anyone and everyone, even me. Even you. Let me even just say here, if you... If you feel like you don't belong in church, and I'm guessing some of you probably, probably feel that way. Right? It's just, this is not, this is, I'm not sure if I fit here, right? Or, or maybe you know, if you guys really knew me, right? You knew what I've done, my background, my history. If you knew what's going on inside, you'd want nothing to do with me. If that describes you, let me just say, try us. Just, just try it. Because this, this king, this is the one that we follow. This is the one that we serve. And he, he has his arms outstretched for all of us. And if we don't respond like this, then, then we're just as bad as the cursed fig tree. It's never too late till it is. Chance after chance after chance. But there is a deadline coming. Don't end up like the tree. So what do we do? How do, we, how do we respond to these really difficult stories? Well, maybe, maybe if you're here this morning, you're not, you're not a religious person. You tend to be maybe a bit more on the, the skeptical side of things. And yet you, you hear these warnings that Jesus gives. And maybe you, you even sense that this king is inviting you. Or, or maybe, maybe you are more on the religious side of things. Maybe you've been in church all your life. You do know all the rules. You live a decent life. You're, you're a good person. 
And yet you also know how many times you've tried to convince yourself that you've got it all together, that, that you deserve something from God because you're so neat, right? And if that, if that describes you, these, these stories, maybe they scare you. They're good, they're meant to, right? They scare me. So what do we do about it? Well, in some ways, it's obvious, right? Go back to the fig tree. We bear fruit. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the answer. That's, that's the solution is like, well, then be, be fruitful. Have the kind of fruit that, that Jesus is looking for. Well, yeah, but what does that look like? Well, in each of these stories, we get kind of an angle of what it is. In the, in the first, first story, Jesus tells them to change their mind and believe, to admit that you, you don't have it figured out that your life isn't okay, that you need something that only Jesus can give and that you believe that, that he can give it. It's better to show up late to the vineyard than not at all. And the second story, it's, it's, it's that we receive the son, right? That we respect him when he comes and we give him everything that he deserves. We recognize that all that we have, all that we are, everything, it all belongs to him. That he's the one we serve. And the third you just got to show up at the party. Show up ready. I mean, that's very clear as the story continues. But you have to respond to this, this invitation and realize that whatever you've got going on, this is better. Right? That, that what, whatever, whatever it is you, that I look to to tell me that my life is important, that it matters, that it means something, that whatever I look to to make me happy or, or satisfied or, or to tell me that I'm, that I'm a good person, right? Whatever, whatever it is to say, this, this is better. For he invites you. It's not too late. Not yet. If there's breath in your lungs, it is not too late for you. If you are willing to respond, it is not too late for you. How do I know? Because even many of the religious people, they're, they're in that city. I mean, the same, the same who condemn Jesus to death in just a few days, when they see him alive again, and they realize what it is they've done, many of them come. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, for example, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I just I love that that's there. I mean, as one, you know, religious leader, it gives me a lot of hope, doesn't it? It wasn't too late for them. Not, not all of them, anyway. And listen, you know, if you, if you have been in church for a while, it's so easy to think of repenting and believing. As, it's, that's, that's for young, young people, right? It's, it's for wayward people, like the classically trained sinners. It's, it's, it's for them, right? We tend to kind of put it in those, those categories, but the reality is repentance and belief, it is for nice people, decent people, people who think they have it together, religious people, church people, people arrogant, self-righteous people. It's for us. And you may have spent your entire life in church, but so did they, essentially. And they crucified him. So no matter who you are this morning, have you turned from your sin? And you keep turning away from it over and over and over again. And are you, are you turning towards this, this God who calls us, who welcomes us to, to place our trust in him, to, to give him our lives? Come to the party. It's not too late. Not yet. And ultimately, it's Jesus that we come to, isn't it? And I think one of the most beautiful things in these three stories, especially looking at them together, is that, 
he kind of wrote himself into each of these stories. Maybe not explicitly, but yet he's, he's there. And he's, he's the one we come to. So in the first, first story, he, he's the son who looks good and is good, right? The, the, the true and better son, the one who shows up for work even when we oversleep, right? Even when we, we don't want to or we fail or forget or whatever, that he offers us his work, his goodness, and his forgiveness. And the second story, he's the, the, the son who comes from the, the master to the vineyard, not just to die at our hands, but to die in our place so that we can produce a fruit that you and I could never possibly be capable of on our own. True righteousness flowing from us. And friends, not only are we invited to this wedding feast, and don't miss this, we don't come just as guests. We're invited as the bride us as his people, united together with Christ, not just spectators at this incredible event, but participants in it forever in the family of God. It's never too late till it is. Why not come to him now? Let's pray together. These words are adapted from an old, old Puritan prayer. Let's, let me pray it for us. Lord, it is our chief desire to bring our hearts back to you. Convince us that we cannot be our own God or make ourselves happy nor be our own Messiah to restore our joy, nor our own spirit to teach, guide, rule us. Help us to see that grace does this in us. For when we think we are high up, you cast us lower, and it's grace. That when riches become our idol, you wing them away, and it's grace. That, that when our pleasure is our all, you turn it into bitterness, and it's grace. So would you take away our roving eyes, our curious ears, our greedy appetites, our lustful hearts? Would you please show us that none of these things can heal a wounded conscience? or support us in our weakness, or uphold us at our time of death. And then would you take us to the cross and leave us there, for it is there we find our rest in you. Father, help us believe that with you anywhere is better than anywhere without you. Help us to continually turn away from our sin and turn towards you, to trust you always. And Lord Jesus, thank you for being so patient with us for giving us so many chances. Help us not waste another.